This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Really excited today to be joined by special guest, Joe Dolan, own, part owner of FantasyPoints.com. Joe, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. I think this is year three or four. I feel like you came on right as you guys were launching Fantasy Points, and it's been exciting to have you and many of your other fellow colleagues there hop on the S2S throughout the last few years. Hey, it's good to be with you here, Paul. Um, sorry I have a little frog in my throat. Um, I'm guessing it was COVID, um, but we'll see. I mean, I... Look, I've been doing podcasts over at the site, making sure our franchise focus series is ready. Kind of just have to head down and power through at this stage, you know? So uh, that we're, we're doing our work, but uh, hey, look, playing hurt, the players play hurt. Why can't we? <laughs> Absolutely. And guys, if you're not, I'll, I'll push it again at the end of the pod, but if you're not following and uh, subscribing to all the work that they do over at Fantasy Points. You are missing out. I had Wes Huber on before the draft. Joe joining me tonight. Hopefully he can lock in Graham Barfield over the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, we are big fans over everything they are providing over there. It is a must-have if you play Redraft, if you play Dynasty, if you play Daily. You need everything that Fantasy Points is producing. So, Joe, I brought you in on tonight because here at Saturday, Sunday, we don't turn the page off this rookie class and the, and the draft for a while. Not until basically we turn the page to the next wave of prospects. Like August, we start getting ready for the college football season. So we kind of look at it from all perspectives and bring on some of the best in the industry. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit with these rookies, maybe from a little bit from a redraft perspective, but also just more of a bigger picture in terms of dynasty as well. So why don't we, why don't we get started at the running back position? Brees Hall, Kent Walker, you know, seem to be the consensus top two. In your perspective, do you have them close together? Or, you know, for people who maybe are picking late rookie drafts, I know a lot of rookie drafts are done, but I know I still have some left in July and even one in August. Do you think there's a big difference? Or do you think these guys are pretty much like the top of the rookie draft? Or do you think there's a little bit of a gap between Brees Hall, Kent Walker in terms of dynasty? So, yeah, all right. All right. So we're talking dynasty here. Um, I would have them pretty close in dynasty in a rookie draft. Um. I think Brees Hall is the slam dunk overall number one pick in dynasty rookie drafts. And I think that's mostly because, and I'm sure we'll get to the wide receivers, but I think that's mostly because there's a little bit of debate on this wide receiver class. Like there's no Jamar Chase. There's no Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle of this rookie class, right? At the wide receiver position. I think Brees Hall is the slam dunk one, one. I think you can make an argument based on team needs that Kenneth Walker should go Two, three, four, no matter what. So uh, I guess what when I say that they're close, I think you can make an argument for Walker to be the second pick, uh, depending on what you need. But I don't think Walker's close to being in consideration for the first pick. Now, part of that is because of Breesall's receiving ability, right? We know that's proven. Kenneth Walker hasn't proven that. Now, I think it is very obvious that based on running backs who've come out of college and running backs who've come out um, uh, over the years, we should never just assume that because a running back didn't catch the ball in college that he can't do it. I think that's a very, like, I mean, there's a ton of guys throughout history who approve. LaDainian Tomlinson never caught the ball in college. Okay. LaDainian Tomlinson 
might be like one of the three greatest receiving backs of all time. So let's not hold that against Kenneth Walker too much. But the fact of the matter is Brees Hall has proven that he can do that. And Kenneth Walker has not. And also, you know, there's no Rashad Penny to deal with. I don't think, I don't think long-term Penny is a threat for Kenneth Walker, but at least if you're starting this year, somebody has got to win your league this year, by the way, I always say that in dynasty, somebody has got to win it this year. Um, I, I think Brees Hall has got the easier path towards a bell cow role. Yeah, and I love the point you brought up about Kenneth Walker because here at Saturday Sunday, we always talk about don't knock a guy in their eval for something that they haven't been asked to do because we're not sure whether or not. It could just be that, yeah, maybe they can't do it, but maybe they just aren't asked to do it in the role. Listen, Derrick Henry was on his way, and he's been in the NFL for a while, of having his best pass-catching career uh, season last year prior to the injury. We've seen Leonard Fournette, who that, had that mantra for a long time until he was pigeonholed with Tom Brady, and all of a sudden he catches a lot of passes. So – you know, there's difference between a running back who can run routes and a running back who can catch passes and be a functional player. And I think sometimes we get lost in that. That Yeah, is Ken Walker ever going to be as good as Brees Hall or James Cook out of the backfield? Of course not. But could he be functional? Absolutely. Uh, maybe maybe he's question. better yeah. than functional, by the way. Yeah. Like, we don't know. Like, the, Let's bring up two Boston College running backs. Uh, this, this is a good way to do it. Uh, remember Andre Williams? Oh, sure mm-hmm. you do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Now, Andre Williams might be the worst receiving back I've ever seen. And I remember, like, at, like, his pro day and at the combine, the guy was just dropping everything, okay? So he wasn't asked to catch the ball in college, and he couldn't do it in the NFL. A.J. Dillon wasn't asked to catch the ball in college. And then last summer, Packer beat writers were hearing the drum beats. Like, hey, hey, look, guys, this this is a thing, like – And he comes out and he does it during the regular season. So I think that's a perfect example of, yeah, okay, if he can't do it, he's not going to be asked to do it in college. But just because he isn't asked to do it doesn't mean he won't do it in the NFL. So Derrick Henry, look, Derrick Henry's an outlier. We want our running backs to catch more passes than Derrick Henry does, okay? Derrick Henry's just a different animal in other areas. But I think, I, I don't see why at this point, we should sit, stand here and pound on the table and say Kenneth Walker will never have a 40-catch season. We can't do that. I'm not willing to do that. Yeah, and that makes sense. And listen, Chris Carson has showed that he could be a good pass-catching running back in Seattle as well, and, and that was something that we didn't know if he could do that, and then he had a season where he did it. One last question on, on the top of there, because I like to give people a wider perspective and not just the what do you think of these guys if we rewind a year ago, and I don't know where your take was, so I'm interested to kind of hear you. I don't remember. I always warn people to be very careful about holding on to their pre-draft takes with a player. Michael Carter last year falls to round four, but he was beloved in the draft community. Mm-hmm. And he was going ahead of people, like first-round wide receivers, like there is Tony. And do you kind of like keep it as a case-by-case example, or you really try avoiding pushing those guys up in a rookie draft because of exactly what we just saw this year. The Jets did not look at him and an investment as a fourth-round pick as not going after Brees Hall. Do you kind of take it case by case, or do you kind of think if you play the odds, you got to be a little careful about overvaluing or overrating rookies in dynasty drafts who go on day three because they're more replaceable and they don't have that leash that we're used to? So uh, you would be horrified (laughs) if I told you some of the names that Michael Carter went ahead of in our rookie draft at Fantasy Points in our Dynasty League last year. 
the guy who took him was like, oh, man, I really need a running back. And, like, he went ahead of Jalen Waddell. He went ahead of Devontae Smith. He went ahead of Kyle Pitts. And, and, and like, I mean, you want to talk about drafting for need. And I think, I mean, I, not that I think, I know what you're getting at here. Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier, right? Mm-hmm. These are two guys who, in theory, have a wide open path to a huge role as a rookie. Just like Michael Carter did last year. And by the way, Michael Carter played pretty well last year. Of course. Um, but And remember, Houston, what did the Jets do to get Brees Hall? Trade they up. traded up in front of Houston to get him. So they knew Houston was going to take Brees Hall. So Houston, we knew, was in the market for running back. And then they were like, all right, you know, we, we'll wait a couple of rounds. Um, does that mean Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier can't become really good dynasty players. I think Damian, all is kind of a certain type of back. I think he's going to be a guy who, if a team has to give him 200 carries, they're going to be like, yeah, okay, that's great. But they're never going to view him as like, oh my God, this is our guy. You know, Damian Pierce, I think has a little more ability than that. Um, but I would be very careful with those guys. And I, like, like, I think you said you're, I think you're playing a losing game. If you're going to keep drafting these day three prospects with great opportunity over day one and day two prospects who might be a little bit more roadblocked. For instance, you know, if you're drafting, let's say, Damian Pierce over James Cook because, oh, you know, Devin Singletary's there and they're not a run first team, or, or you're drafting Tyler Algier over Brian Robinson. Or Rashad White, okay? But Rashad White might be the better example. Well, you know, Leonard Fournette's there, and Brady doesn't like rookie backs. And, and I think if you do that long-term, you're probably playing a losing game. Like, uh, like for instance, you know, a guy like Algier is probably going ahead of Tyquan Thornton in so many rookie drafts right now. Tyquan Thornton, a second-round pick. Some thought he was overdrafted. Our guy, Greg Cosell, did not. Cosell, I remember Cosell saying to me, and this is another discussion, um, but he said to me that uh, the only difference he saw between Chris Olave and Tyquan Thornton was the logo on the helmet. Um, and, like, I think you're playing a losing game if you do that consistently. Now, maybe you're really high on Damian Pierce, and you're like, look, look, I, look I'm going to bet on the talent, and every now and again you pick your spots, sure. But I think you're right in saying, you know, Overall, that's probably a negative value type of move. Yeah, and listen, I do think some people probably have a little bit of a bold perspective because they did it with Amon Ross St. Brown. So it can work. That fourth-round wide receiver, that fourth-round running back could outperform guys taken much earlier. It's not impossible, but I think if the statistical analysis was done, it's probably much more of an outlier and not something like you just said that's a winning formula in terms of if you're playing the odds a little bit to try to put yourself in the best situation, which we know is part of fantasy football, putting yourself in the best situation. Any final thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I I just think, look, if you're going to – I think if you're going to really feel like you can outdraft people – in rookie dynasty drafts, which is, you know, questionable. But if you think you can make some trades, trade down, get more picks, give yourself more shots at it. That's the way, that's the way I would go. Yep. Uh, you brought up James Cook and Rashad White kind of in passing. I just want to circle back to them before we close out the, the running back discussion. 
when you look at James Cook, because I was a very big fan, I, I went on multiple podcasts and said, like, I think it's not impossible that he could have an Alvin Kamara trajectory, like underutilized in college, starts out in a certain role and maybe work his way up there. Georgia just didn't need him to do that. Where do you kind of sit maybe long term on James Cook? And then also the Rashad White thing. I also think I think there's a gap between those two, but I also think there's some untapped potential upside down the line, even though I think he's being overvalued in the short term, because I do think there's a little bit of a blockage there with Leonard Fournette. They brought back, you know, uh, Giovanni Bernard. Uh, but I like both of those guys long term, obviously Cook greater. Yeah, so um, I, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think I'm going to say anything a little bit. I don't think I'm going to say anything that counteracts you right here. Um, I think James Cook has a shot to be a, a really good player this year. Um, as a matter of fact, and maybe I'm being stupid here, but when I've been doing underdog drafts or when I've been doing best ball tens or whatever, I've actually been drafting James Cook ahead of Devin Singletary. I, I just think in, in, in within the, the, the fit of that offense, what do we know, by the way, Buffalo wanted to do this offseason? You know, teams tell you what they want to do, right? They tried to sign J.D. McKissick. So Buffalo went out and was like, we need to get a passing down back. And J.D. McKissick established as one of the better ones in the league. He rebuffs them. He goes back to Washington, which, by the way, just opens up a whole other can of worms in (laughs) fantasy football. Um, But he then goes back to Washington, and then James Cook slides in and James Cook was the best receiving back in this class. I think James Cook is going to play right away. And now we haven't, you know, with Buffalo Singletary and Zach Moss were both third round picks. Both of those guys got their opportunity early. Buffalo tends to like, let guys play themselves out of a role, which is what Zach Moss has done. I'm not so sure that's going to be the case in Tampa. Now, I think Rashad White is spectacularly talented. And by the way, I have him in a Devi league, so I'd really like if he played right away. But Leonard Fournette has earned the trust of Tom Brady. I think Fournette mentioned that Brady was key in Fournette resigning in Tampa. Um, even great third-down, pass-down backs like James White in New England have had to redshirt with Brady. You know, hey, I got to trust you to pick up the blitz. I got to trust you to run the right route here, you know, stuff like that. They still have Gio Bernard. So Brady has a veteran there. He can, maybe Bernard's not, he's he's two steps behind Rashad White in terms of speed right now. But maybe Brady can trust that guy. We know Fournette can catch the ball. I think James Cook's just a much better bet in the short term. But I also think Rashad White, body-wise, is built to be maybe more than a scat back in the future, which makes him very interesting for Dynasty. Especially since Tampa, I think, can get out from Fournette's contract after this year. If they Yeah, win. yeah, they, they can. And Rashad White, when I was watching him a lot over this last year, and he was my number five running back pre-draft, I said I, said I saw some Antonio Gibson. The style, the height, the comps. And we, like you said before, Washington and their misuse of Antonio Gibson is a totally different well, story. <laughs> my question is, is it misuse with Antonio Gibson? Well, I'm sure we'll get to that. You know. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe it's not. You know, It's just weird that what he did in college hasn't been asked of what he's done. Uh, but going back to J.D. McKissick, I do feel like because the Bills management brought up the name J.D. McKissick when they were talking about James Cook, I do feel like some people are pigeonholing him and think that's all. 
I think he's going to do everything J.D. McKissick was going to do for Buffalo. But I think once he gets on the field, while J.D. McKissick would have came off the field plenty, I have a feeling James Cook might not be so easy to get off the field on some of those yeah, other downs. Like, right, right. Like, I, McKissick was never going to be a 150-carry guy, right? No. He was never – I think James Cook can be that. Like, I think maybe he's never his brother. Maybe he's never, you know, 15 to 18 carries, six or seven targets a game. Maybe he's never that. I think he could be seven to nine carries, five to six targets a game. And that's a really useful player for fantasy. That very useful player for fantasy. I'm high on him. I think, I think he can make a big impact this year. Agree. And I would be taking him ahead of Singletary in best ball leagues underdog as well. We kind of alluded to it. So let's just finish out the running back with one last thing. Brian Robinson. Is this a knock that they have just lost fate in Antonio Gibson? Are they looking for a compliment Thoughts on Brian Robinson, what it means, because there are some really reputable people in the fantasy community that still have Antonio Gibson very high in dynasty rankings, redraft rankings. I loved him a couple years ago. I have him on a lot of dynasty teams. I'm not feeling so comfortable about that right now. I talked to Ben Standig from The Athletic uh, for our Franchise Focus podcast at um, fantasypoints.com, and I would recommend not shameless plug, of course, but I would recommend people go listen to that interview because th- this is obviously something that we talked about. And Ben plays fantasy, so he he understands what people are getting at. Well, Washington brought McKissick back. Okay, we know what McKissick's role is. That already, that in and of itself is a bummer for Gibson because Gibson was, as you know, a college-wide receiver. All right, well, at the very least, he's going to be a good receiving back in the NFL. Yeah, except they take him off the field on third downs. He said to me that Washington has been, was very upset last year with Gibson's fumbling problem. I think he fumbled seven times. Um, And he said Brian Robinson looks like he could really be the between the tackles kind of bruiser. And the big question now is who's the goal line back? So he said Gibson's the lead running back, but we know he's not the passing down back or the hurry up back because that's McKissick. They brought McKissick back. Now he might not be the goal line back. So what's he going to do? Exactly. I mean, look, like there's no worse rushing role for fantasy than between the 20s on first and second down. It's the worst. You're doing the work, but you're not getting the points. I I think there's a point, like, you know, Gibson falls to, like, the sixth round, where I think if you're in a best ball league and you're like, man, I don't want to take him, but there is certainly a scenario where Robinson comes in and maybe he doesn't grasp the offense, or Gibson's lost some weight and he looks like he's got some juice. I think there is a chance that Brian Robinson ends up like Damian Harris when Damian Harris was a third-round pick out of Alabama with the Patriots and barely plays. There's a chance that happens. But long-term, do I feel good about Antonio Gibson? No way. If I had Antonio Gibson for Dynasty, I'd probably just hold him because what are you going to get for him? Yeah, and that's what, you know, someone who owns him everywhere, the value just wasn't there. Or if I bought him last offseason, what I paid for him is far cry different you, you just, from what it is right now. You just got to hope right, right that that, that – scenario plays out where maybe Brian Robinson doesn't carve out a role. Gibson hangs on to the ball and he runs for 1200 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's what you got to hope for. 
But, you know, Ben Standing, he, he, he raised the alarms. Like, they like this guy. They think Brian Robinson could be a great goal linebacker. Man, that could really, really hurt Gibson. He's going to get all those empty calorie fantasy touches. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's going to be really, that's going to be something to monitor closely, monitor in preseason, and then obviously as the year starts. And then, like you said, if Gibson puts the ball on the ground once, do we see a very short leash in terms of the coaches willing to, to let him be out there if he starts fumbling again? So we'll be following that closely for sure. Let's transition over to the wide receivers. I had Mike Clay on, on my last episode, and I asked him this same question, so I want to pose it to you as well. How hard was it with six wide receivers going in such a short interval in round one to kind of rank them post-draft, whether – we'll say dynasty because short term, I think it's easy to, to find fits of who can maybe get a, the largest target share right off the bat. But in terms of dynasty, did you fall back more on your pre-draft analysis or rankings with these guys? Did you yeah. adjust it much post-draft with them being so close together? And we know other stuff changes, right? Atlanta quarterback's going to change. Tennessee quarterback's probably going to change. And so many of these other situations, Jared Goff's probably not the long-term guy in Detroit, and he doesn't bring the best out of Jamison Williams, but that's going to change. Very difficult because you could make the argument that, of the six wide receivers who went in the first round of the NFL draft, that the first two drafted, or at least two of the first three drafted, were my least favorites of the six, in Drake London and Olave. And that makes things really difficult because, let, let, let me put it this way. I thought the best receiver in the draft was Garrett Wilson. He's probably the guy, if I, if I had my choice of all the receivers and I had to take one, that would probably be the guy. I think Garrett Wilson's the guy I would take. Um, but London was a polarizing prospect. A lot of people, I, I don't know. How did you feel about London ball? I wasn't as far extreme as Greg Cosell, who is my favorite analysis to watch. Yeah. But I also was not on the, he was Mike Evans or Vincent Jackson. I thought maybe best case scenario, he was Brandon Marshall. And if that's the case, I get where he's going, but I have a lot of reservations about whether or not he can win consistently on the outside. I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to do more of that work from the inside. I know Cosell mentioned Marquise Colston. I think he could be better than that. I, I see like a Brandon Marshall type player because I think that's where he's going to win more. And if that's him, then maybe he's fine going as high as he is in all drafts. Oh, by the uh, way, and like, here's the thing that Cosell said, because like Cosell, Cosell is like, Man, if I say he's not Mike Evans, everybody's like, oh, my God, you hate Drake London. <laughs> Marcus Colston caught 700 passes in the NFL, okay? If you were to tell me Drake London's going to catch 700 passes in the NFL, I'm probably taking him 1-1 over Brees Hall. I'm not sure that that's what he is, but, like, I mean, look, that's you could be a big slot and have a really good role, but I take Garrett Wilson. Alave's interesting because I think Alave, and I think New Orleans knows Alave's a certain kind of receiver, because what do they have now? Presuming Michael Thomas is back, who, who knows? I mean, what? I think there's like a 2% chance Michael Thomas never plays again. Like, he's like a mystery man at this stage. But <laughs> yeah, Michael Thomas, you go get Jarvis Landry. What are those two guys? Possession. Move the chains. Alave is not a chain mover. Alave is an explosive play guy. I mean, I think there's a chance Alave has 50 catches for 800 yards and five touchdowns. And it's frustrating as hell for fantasy, but does exactly what the Saints want him to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you got to get him on his spike week, and that's hard to do. But I think there's a chance that that's what Alave does. Um, 
Dotson, what's up with Terry McLaurin, right? Because I think you watch McLaurin and you watch Dotson and they kind of play similarly. They're really good deep ball trackers. They can run. Um, by the way, Dotson played with an extremely inaccurate quarterback in at Penn State, which makes him well-equipped to handle Carson Wentz, I would guess. Um, <laughs> but And then Traylon Burke says, I, I'm not going to knock a guy for having asthma, but, I mean, there's Titan writers who said he's out of shape. Like, I mean, they need him, by the way, because they have nothing else. out. Robert Woods is coming off an ACL. Jamison Williams is the guy I struggle the most with because I love him. There's a chance he doesn't play until October or November this year. And then he comes out. I, I wonder if Jamison Williams is going to be a better guy to buy after this year than as opposed to right now. Because, like, and by the way, Jared Goff's a totally fine caretaker of that offense. We saw that last year. Um, but he's not the long-term solution. So, I, I mean, I am. this is maybe the hardest rookie wide receiver class for me to rank ever. I, I like, I, I am struggling with it. I, I will say I'm going to go on my priors and, and take Garrett Wilson first of the group. Yeah, I think you hit it spot on. But I would probably dra- draft London, by the way, second, only because I'm, I'm look, Atlanta, many people I respect thought I was low on London, including Scott Barrett, by the way, who at, at Fantasy Points, his model directly contradicts Greg Cosell. But, you know, it's a statistical model. Our guy Brett Whitefield, who's heading our charting team, he loved Drake London. So I'd probably take London second just because, like, I – I'm not confident I'm right. Atlanta took him eight overall, right? Yeah. So that's I would probably take him second. Yeah, and I, I think you're spot on. Everyone has some questions, right? Can London play outside? Is he is it just does it matter? You know, Garrett Wilson. Well, is he directly connected to Zach Wilson? And could that hurt him? Maybe Elijah Moore ends up being better. I don't think so. I like Garrett Wilson better as a prospect, but he's in that, you know, Chris Olave. I think he's you mentioned the stat line that if he does, you wouldn't be surprised. That sounds a lot like Will Fuller's stat line, who was a guy who I comped him to, part Will Fuller and mm-hmm. part Terry McLaurin. I think for Chris Olave, it's do they let Jameis Winston unleash it, or do they let him be, or do they just make him be a baby caretaker again like last year? Because Jarvis Landry and Michael Thomas are overlapping way more than than Chris Olave is. And then down the line, Jamison Williams, the injury, you know, the, can Jared Goff maximize, you know, the the deep ball with him? Traylon Burks is not a great route runner. We've seen them kind of slowly morph A.J. Brown into a more refined player. They're probably going back to the well there. So one after the other, and then Dotson, which for most people seems to be six. I think he's much closer to them than people want to have, than people want to think. I think most people in rookie drafts have taken Sky Moore and sometimes even Christian Watson ahead of him, which I personally disagree with. But I also think we can't say Terry McLaurin's not going anywhere if this offseason taught us anything. Exactly. Like, we can't. You know, I talked to Ben and, like, on that podcast and we're like I recorded it about a week before we published it and we're like you know there might be out of date by the time by the time it it's released so um who knows I mean John thought you're right John Dawson might be their number one receiver by the time September rolls around yeah absolutely let's take this to some of the day two guys and I want to start with a guy who we've talked a lot about here at Saturday Sunday and just kind of hear where your take is as I've done plenty of rookie drafts I have found Wondell Robinson to be the best value in all of rookie drafts. And it's one of those things where his film production in college was great. The analytics was great. He produced at Nebraska. And I feel like I know the length is zero percentile. 
But we were so excited. The community was so excited about Rondell Moore last year at the same size in terms of height. Obviously, Rondell a little bit thicker in terms of the frame. And so excited about Elijah Moore, who was one inch taller. I'm, I struggle with why he's being pushed down so far the board in rookie drafts. The, the Giants front office targeted him two trades to, I think, know that they can move back and get him. Where's your take on, on Wandao before we hit on some of the other day two guys? Yeah, so I'm going to um, just real quickly um, say this. I also interviewed Dan Duggan from The Athletic for the Franchise Focus podcast, and I thought it was funny. I brought up, and I'm like, well, you got Kenny Galladay, and you got Tony, and you got Sterling Shepard, and you got Barkley, and you got Wandale Robinson. Man, you know, that's, the, that's pretty good for Daniel Jones. And then Duggan – who's covered the team for years is like, yeah, but, and you can tell like the the jadedness of covering the giants is kind of, he's like Sterling Shepard's hurt. Galladay was terrible last year. Who knows what Tony is. Barkley might never be the same. Like, like, and he's like, and Wanda Robinson might've been overdrafted, but this kind of goes back to the discussion we had earlier. Right. I feel like if you presume that you're smarter than NFL teams, you're probably going to be playing a losing battle at dynasty long-term. Now you might be right on a few, like you mentioned, Amon Ross St. Brown. Okay. That guy should have been a second round pick. Okay. Um, but what if Galladay still stinks? What if Tony's uh, up in space camp again? What, who's to say Wondell Robinson can't get a hundred targets this year. You know, Sterling Shepard's coming off an Achilles and that guy's always hurt. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like people are like, Oh, he's overdrafted. Well, now you also have Mike Kafka coming in from Kansas city. So he's got plenty of experience with small, speedy wide receivers. You've got Dable who got a lot out of Cole Beasley and Isaiah McKenzie. I don't know. I like, I think there's like a 10% scenario where Wandale Robinson leads his team in targets. I, I think it's a low probability, but look, I mean, Galladay was horrible last year. You I'm not, not to open <laughs> old wounds for you. I mean, what do you expect from Kadarius Tony? The kid's talented, but I mean, I think you can argue that their skill sets are redundant. And Duggan, Duggan downplayed that, by the way. He's like, who cares if their skill sets are redundant? It just makes them harder to defend. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, is there a scenario where Wandale Robinson is instantly ahead of Kadarius Tony on the depth chart? Because I think so. Yeah, listen, I, I think it's a very, you know, and I've talked about it a lot to my listeners are probably starting to get, you know, a little bit sick of, of me talking about it. But I do think, listen, I think this year Wandale Robinson's value probably will be more real life than it is fantasy. But there's scenarios where that can change. But I also think that Ken Galladay is probably gone after this year. Sterling Shepard is for sure gone. They reworked his deal just to kind of bring him back. Uh if Kadarius Tony doesn't get his head on straight, they did, they have no connections to him. New organ, new new front office, new coach. Yeah. You know, we already heard whispers this year, and I do think people are holding on to some pre-draft take with Kadarius Tony about their positions overlapping. I get you could do some of the the manufactured touches, but Kadarius Tony showed very quickly in the limited time, but very quickly. He could play outside. Anyone who goes oh, back and sure. watches that Dallas game, the New Orleans game, or the first drive of the, the Rams game before he got hurt, and he was beating some top-level cornerbacks on the outside. So I think it's going to be more Wandell is exclusively the slot guy. They'll, they'll mix and match the manufactured touch stuff, and maybe when Wendell, Wandell's on the field, Tony will go, kick inside a little bit. But I think we're going to see a lot of Wandell in the slot. Um, so it's interesting to kind of just pick other people's perspective of that. 
and and, and I'm just talking process here, man. Right? Yeah. Like, absolutely. I'll leave the evaluation to guys who are better than me, and I'll absorb all that. But I'm just talking process here. And you're right. Like, Dan Duggan admitted, like, you know, the Gettleman, Coughlin, you know, like all that, all that, like, kind of old school stuff that they've done over the past like half decade plus might be weighing on his like psyche. Like, but yeah, I. I'm totally with you. And by the way, Kenny Galladay, let's just, let's just, I know he's like a double digit round pick. I've actually dabbled in Kenny Galladay. I wanted nothing to do with him last year. Um, Was there ever, and and I know you're a Giants fan, so you have to be optimistic, but was there ever a big money signing that was so uh, more obviously not going to work than that one? Like when they signed that contract, I was like, oh my God, that's going to be a disaster. Yeah, and, and and it almost listen. And as a Giants fan, you get excited to the the thought of a legit, you know, wide receiver. But it was like, who are they even outbidding? There wasn't a lot of teams that were in the mix. There was a little bit of whispers that maybe the Eagles were dabbling, but there wasn't a lot of teams. Not and listen, yeah, I with think all the, the great Eagles reporters might have offered there. them a one or a two year deal yeah. or something like that. You know, like the same with like Juju. Like it was just kind of one of those. I was like, oh god. But hey, you know, Galladay can. Look, he, his value has never been lower. Like, you can acquire him, and maybe that some of that Detroit guy gets back in there. Yeah, and listen, that was always the issue with Gettleman having another year because he was a loose cannon who didn't care about contracts. He knew he had a win last year or he was gone. So, like, he didn't really care. Mara was willing to open the checkbook, which for all the issues with Mara, opening the checkbook is not something that he's hesitant to do if his GM asks for it. If we talk about a couple other wide receivers, Christian Watson and Sky Moore, Ideal, pristine landing spots, but coming from smaller levels of school and going back to Wandell for one second, there were some whispers again, who knows what's true and what's not, but there were some whispers that Kansas City was maybe targeting Wandell over Sky Moore. Sky Moore did fall a lot further than most draft pundits thought he was going to fall. From those two, are you hitching your wagon more to Sky Moore, Patrick Mahomes with Christian Watson, some of the uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers, the drop issues? Are you definitely more team Sky Moore than Christian Watson? Um, yes, because, um, I'm worried that Watson's a certain kind of player, but let me, let me flip this conversation a little bit. I have not found myself drafting Sky Moore very much because I'm going to wait three rounds to draft Marquez Valdez Gambling. Like that guy to me is like the value in drafts right now. Like they gave him more money than Jude. Uh, on underdog, Juju's going like six rounds ahead, of, uh, which is so dumb. Like, even if you think Juju's going to outproduce Valdez Gantling, they gave Valdez Gantling more money. People are living on that that three years ago when Juju Smith went into the offseason as like the number one wide receiver in Dynasty, and they like, refused to get off that. Here's the problem. And like, he's got knee problems, but like, this is one where you've got to evaluate what the NFL is doing, right? Juju Smith-Schuster... Entered the offseason two years in a row as the most productive and youngest wide receiver on the open market and had to settle for a one-year deal both times. What does that tell you what the NFL thinks about? Now, that doesn't mean he can't produce in Kansas City. It's a great environment. But, man, Valdez Scantling is the guy from Kansas City I'm gravitating towards. I'll take Sky Moore over Christian Watson. You know, we've heard buzz that Romeo Dubs has been out playing Christian Watson in, in minicamps. And by the way, I don't think that should raise alarm bells. Much more See, polished player. You know, yeah, he's a more polished player. Christian Watson, we know, can jump out of the building. like, But he's 
he was running past me and you out there, let's be honest. Yeah. So, no, I, I, I'll take Sky more over Watson, but, like, I don't think I'm going to – I think Watson, I've seen him go too high in rookie drafts for my taste. Um, but I'm not going to write him off based on that. But, yeah, I'll take Sky more over, over Christian Watson. I just think, like, the Kansas City receiver I want is Valdez Scantlin. And where do you where do you kind of pigeonhole George Pickens with those two guys? Because I guess they're kind of close. Do you do you, would you prefer Pickens over Christian Watson, or would you would you side with the upside of Watson and Green Bay with Rodgers over Pickens and the uncertainty of those wide receivers next year? Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I hope George Pickens balls out because I want to use the meme so much. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about yep. when, 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 when you know him <laughs> watching himself get drafted. Um, the thing I have concerns about with Pittsburgh is that is a loaded wide receiver group. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that offense is going to look like. Um, but again, I think there's a chance Pickens is their second best receiver after Deontay Johnson. So um, I kind of, I, let, let me put it this way. I'd rather have Pickens at his ADP than Watson at his. That makes sense. I think that's a good way for me to hedge that because he's cheaper and I think he can outproduce him. Yeah. Any other, give me one guy from the other day, two wide receivers, Alec Pierce, John Mechie, Jalen Tolbert, David Bell, Taekwon Dorton, Danny Gray. Of those guys, is there one either based on value, fit, just you like it in pre-draft that you have gravitated and maybe got in more in your rookie drafts or you're dabbling even in, in redraft or deep best balls? Is there one from that list that intrigues you the most? That jumps out right away is Alec Pierce. Okay. I mean, like, very talented guy. Um, And then look at the depth chart. Let's presume, and this is, this is a hell of a presumption to make, but let's presume Harris Campbell is healthy and productive, okay? Even including that, they have Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, and what else? Ashton Doolin, Desmond Patton, Mike Strahan, Kiki Kuti. You know, like, even if Paris Campbell is healthy and productive, there is a route to immediate snaps here for, for Alec Pierce. Yeah, the, so the that's depth the guy chart. I'm gravitating towards. Yeah, depth chart wide open there. They seem to like a, a certain type of receiver there in Indianapolis. A lot of overlap, I think, in in skill set in terms of physicality, size, athleticism between Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. So it's gonna be interesting. Why don't we stay with the Colts for a second? Transition over to tight end because I don't think anybody landed in a pristine year one landing spot of the top guys that were drafted. So m- maybe more of a dynasty perspective and if there is one guy that you maybe think could carve out a role in in redraft please start there and then we'll go a little bit more big picture uh on the top of the tight end group uh i redraft i'm not staying far away <laughs> well, look at the history look at the current you know i think trey mcbride will play by the way um the guy who i wouldn't be shocked if he scores five or six touchdowns is jelani woods though now, do I think he's going to catch 100 passes? No. Um, but I love the landing spot for him. I think he's raw. Um, but if anybody from this class turns into Jimmy Graham, it's going to be him. Would you, even though he's going lower in rookie drafts, 
Uh, would you rather wait for and take a stab on Jelani Woods in a dynasty, or would you still prefer to take Trey McBride if you could get your hands on him? But I would rather, gonna cost you. I would rather wait and take Jelani Woods, and this is one where I'm going to plant my flag, even though everybody I know <laughs> is like, oh, man, Trey McBride is such a polished prospect. I cannot ignore the upside of Jelani Woods. I just can't do it. This guy, is he's got an uh, opportunity to be a freak. Yeah, I, I agree with I agree with that. Oh, and I, by the way, just throwing this out there, Ballard, Chris Ballard with the Colts said they view Matt Ryan as a long term solution, so they think he's got some years in him. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they've been trying to solve that quarterback mystery on the veteran market. I think for they a while. did it this year, by the way. So if if Ryan's got a couple years left, they they could be a Super Bowl contender at some point. So it'll be interesting to follow uh, follow that. What about the Broncos tight end room? Because Averogo Wabenam hit a peak in terms of that after the Noah fan trade with Russell Wilson. And then they go out there in the third round, they take Reg Dulcich, who I thought was maybe the best pure pass-catching tight end in the draft. So now they have Oka Wabenam, who was a date pick, but showed some in his ability, obviously a, a beloved prospect, I feel like, in the dynasty community a little bit. But then they take Dulcich. How, is it stay away? Is it stash one? Are you believing that maybe Oka Wabenam could kind of just hold off Dulcich and, and maybe develop into an impact player or just stay away? I was in on Alberto and I was like, Ooh, I'll buy the dip on Alberto in redraft after. And in redraft, I just, I don't, I haven't taken him like more than once or twice recently in dynasty. I'll take a shot on Dulcich in, in the later rounds, but it's a really tough spot to be in because you know Russell Wilson's never really thrown to the tight end in Seattle. After there was the year with Jimmy Graham before he got hurt, but I don't know. This is kind of one where I'm like, I'm like Punches Pilot. I'm washing my hands. Like, I, yeah, you guys sense. deal with it. I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah. Final question for you, Joe. Today is we know based on draft capital. Kenny Pickett, we kind of talked about it before. We don't really know what that offense is going to look like. So let's let's put that him on the side burner and we'll see if he can be a you know functional, you know, above average starting NFL quarterback. If we're talking deep dynasty league or super flex or whatever, you could stash a guy of that next trio of quarterbacks, all taken in round three. The immediate opportunity might be with Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter. But the long-term upside due to the rushing ability may yeah. fall with Malik Willis. But obviously, Ryan Tannehill, you know, we don't know how long he's going to be there. Do you have one of the that trio that if you can kind of get him and just wait it out, you would, who would you who would you prefer from that trio? Probably Willis. But again, I think if you fade this group entirely, you're probably in doing the right thing, right? It kind of goes back to the odds, right? I think Ritter's got the best shot to play. Um, and I also think he's probably the most ready to play. But if Ritter's playing, it means Mariota was terrible, and we know the Falcons are going to stink. Like, they have a terrible roster. I mean, you got London and, and Pitts there, so you got something to throw to. But ultimately, if Atlanta winds up with a top-five pick, Ritter's gone anyway. Carolina might be worse than the Falcons. They're going to end up with a top-five pick, and then Corral's gone, right? Like... Willis might be the guy who's on the best team here and the team's in the, in the least likely spot to replace him next year, but he's also least likely to play this year. So to me, it's a fade across the board. I mean, if I had to pick one of them, it's probably Willis for dynasty. If I needed somebody in a super flex this year, I'd take Ritter. Yeah. And listen, 
there, there's been whispers with Carolina and Baker Mayfield, which if that's the case, then Corral probably can forget about getting on the field this year. And, you know, the interesting thing with Tennessee is if obviously they were to one C last year. If they take a step back, are, do they do next year what Atlanta did this year and, and maybe say, okay, what can we get for Ryan Tannehill last year of his contract, which then might open up the door where we say, okay, we're not picking at the top of the draft next year because they're not going to go from the one seed to picking in the top five, even with the loss of A.J. Brown. So maybe next year it's, okay, what can we get for him? We know there's always a team looking to trade for a veteran Look, quarterback. somebody traded for Carson Wentz. Exactly. Two seasons in a row, okay? <laughs> Ryan Tannehill is going to have a market if he comes available. So, yeah, there is a chance that happens. So. And then maybe Willis gets one year to kind of yep. say, okay, we don't have the draft capital to go get somebody high this year. You get a year to kind of see what you are before we hit that market. Can he take advantage of it, you know, to be determined? So I think you're right. Try to stay away. Play the odds as much as possible. It's kind of the theme that we've been talking about here. Joe, thank you so much uh, for hopping on with me. I'm sure most of my audience is following you and your guys' great work over there at Fantasy Points. But please let the audience know where to follow you. If there's anything, guys, please be checking out those great podcasts that that Joe uh, referenced a couple times tonight. Please share with them anything else you got going on over at Fantasy Points as you guys are ramping up for the the start of the season and uh, and where they can find you. Well, my entire, like, content focus is on franchise focus right now, which is our 32 teams in 32 days kind of series. I'm doing a beat writer analyst interview for all 32 for our podcast. But um, from a big picture perspective, we brought in Brett Whitefield and are assembling uh, and Chris Weck, and we're assembling a team of charters um, at fantasy points. We're going to have a fantasy focused data package, like one stop, like, some of the we're we're developing our own tools in-house and i think this is really one thing that's going to help separate us from other companies so we're really excited about that um but i am i mean other than that like we think we just have we've got a staff that like has had a unified kind of perspective on things from the beginning we've had i mean just go look at the facts we have no staff turnover we've expanded aggressively but smartly but we have no staff turnover from our main staff so i'm just telling you like we're, we're establishing something and we're growing something that where everybody is on the same path guys I'll, I'll just piggyback on that i mentioned in the beginning of the show if you're not subscribing and and purchasing the packages over at fantasy points you are doing yourself a disservice whether it's redraft whether it's best ball whether it's daily Anything you want, they have you covered over there. I mentioned it on Twitter multiple times. There are three sites that I dedicated to to get all my needs as life has gotten busier with children and stuff. Fancy Points is near the top of the list right there with, with two others that I swear by. Make sure you're, you're checking out all their work and checking out all their great content. So, on behalf of Joe, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.